And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Are you struggling with how to live your best life no matter what your age, or how to best respond to life-challenging experiences, then this is a show of hope for you. Back in 1989, leadership expert Stephen Covey gave us the seven habits of highly effective people. In it, Covey outlined seven universal principles for life. It was a bestseller then and continues to be a bestseller today. Over 40 million copies have been sold. Seven Habits is considered to be one of the most influential books of the 20th century. When Covey passed away in 2012, he was working with his daughter on a book that he was just as passionate about, and it was about living a life in crescendo. Today, our guest mentor is his daughter, Cynthia Covey Holler, the oldest of nine children. And we're going to be talking about her dad's last book, which she co-authored, and how to develop a mentality that provides purpose and hope at any stage of life. Welcome, Cynthia. Thanks so much, Tom. I'm excited to be on your show. So let's get started. Uh, And why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I'm, like you said, I'm the oldest of nine children. There's like a 22 and a half year gap between myself uh, being the oldest and my brother, Joshua. And um, I have six children of my own. We live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I've got 21 grandkids (laughs) going on 23. We just found out our youngest is having twins. And so we're excited about that. And um, I'm involved in my community in volunteer work with refugees and with um, education, with employment, and uh, with different things um, throughout the community and with my church. So I'm grateful to to be involved in this and tried to keep keeping busy, especially this Christmas season. Well, the your father uh, was very well known, and I think some people might be curious. And you're certainly a someone that can talk about this. What was he like as a dad? <laughs> he was a lot. He was so much fun. He was uh, spontaneous as they'd come, and he loved to. Um, he loved to embarrass his kids. He'd show up at school and uh, come to come to lunch. Imagine being in high school and all of a sudden your dad would show up with a with a couple of the preschoolers and uh, sit and talk with your friends and sing songs and do all sorts of things. So he, his motto was never pass up an opportunity to embarrass your kids. I think <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. and he did that. He was a lot. He was a lot of fun and had a good relationship with all of us. And uh, was there someone who made a real big difference in his life? Well, um, yeah, he, he had amazing parents who believed in him. He he had an experience when he was twenty. He was on a on a service mission, and he um, his 
the leader told him, uh, gave him the assignment to present and to, to teach a bunch of other leaders that were older than him. And he was, it was out of his comfort zone. He was scared and didn't think he could do it. But he said the leader had so much confidence in his ability to do this that it created that uh, ability or the desire to try in him. And he found he had a knack for teaching and he loved it. He found that he could motivate and inspire people. And he had planned um, to go after this um, service. He, he was going to go to Harvard Business School, straight to Harvard to get an MBA, which he did. But instead of going back into the family hotel business, uh, they owned Little America in Salt Lake City. And instead of doing that, uh, he decided to go into teaching. And so it changed the trajectory of his life. And it also caused him to create a definition of leadership that says leadership is communicating another's worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. And that's what this mentor leader did for him, changed his life. And when you say he got into teaching, did he get into a teaching in a school or was it teaching? Was he actually a teacher in a school? He, he, was, he taught at a university in Utah. And for 20 years, and he um, enjoyed it. He taught organizational behavior, was one of his, his main classes. And it he was a very popular teacher on campus. And, and it was really a fun, practical class that challenged students. But yet after 20 years, he felt like um, he had other important things to do. And he felt like he wanted to break out of this. He had nine kids, so it was a big leap to leave the university and a secure uh, salary and go out on his own. But he founded um, Stephen Covey and Associates and began doing business consulting. And he wanted to teach the seven habits. He was developing it during that time and were teaching his students it, but he wanted to see how it would work in the marketplace and in the workplace. And, and uh, that's what it came about in 1989. And so he, if he hadn't have left teaching when he did, he never would have influenced as many people as he ultimately did. So he was living in crescendo, even, you know, then expanding and learning more. And uh, what did he do to unwind? Um, he loved to go on a Honda ride with my mom. <laughs> he would come home from work or after a trip and he would, he had a Honda 90 and they would get on it and go really slow and ride around the neighborhood and <laughs> up in the mountains. We live in, we lived at that time in Provo, Utah, right by the mountains. And it was beautiful. And they would ride around and they would talk it over, as they called it. And that was kind of, she was his touchstone and, and they had a great relationship. And as we got older, as children, nine kids, uh, we realized what a treasure that was, their relationship that they had and how they communicated every day. And he just loved to be with his family. That was kind of his unwinding. And for you, what was it like to be his daughter of this, uh, <laughs> what, what became a very famous individual? Well, I, it was great. Um, some people say, you know, how did you feel being one of nine? But we all felt we had a special relationship with both our parents. It was a priority to them. They always taught that relationships are more important than things. And one of my greatest childhood memories looking back was when he invited me to San Francisco to um, to accompany him on a trip. And we'd planned to ride the trolley cars and to go to eat Chinese food and to go shopping and do all these great things. And, and we were doing that. I met him at the end of his talk. He 
his presentation. And as he as this was happening, all of a sudden one of his friends greeted him and from college and and acted like, let's go down on the wharf and have seafood and come with my wife. And I thought my trip was falling apart and I was pretty discouraged. And then I heard my dad say, I'd love to do that, Bob, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date planned, don't we, honey? And you want to catch a trolley car, don't you? So we took off and had Chinese food, and did everything we said we would do. It was a great moment for me. So you were the priority. Well, we're going to come back in That's a few right. minutes with our guest mentor, Cynthia Covey Holler, daughter of one of the most influential leadership experts in the 20th century, Seven Habits author Stephen Covey. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on the list of shows to listen to past shows. Subscribe while you're there so you do not miss any future shows. That's thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Cynthia Covey-Holler, co-author of Live Life in Crescendo with her, she was co-author with her late father, the storied and influential uh, Stephen Covey. Remember, you can also listen to this show or any previous show via podcast at iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. So you talked about uh, your dad and how he had been living in Crescendo. What, what do you, when you say you're living in Crescendo, what, what do you mean? Well, um, he adopted that phrase as his personal mission statement, the last 10 years of his life. And uh, we're, we're not really a musical family. My mom was musical, but my dad and I can't carry a tune. But crescendo, if you know that symbol, it starts out at a point and then it spreads. It's broad and it, it enlarges. If you've been to a concert, a crescendo is fantastic. It grows in power and energy and influence until it fills the whole arena and keeps expanding, keeps going, where the opposite diminuendo sign starts broad and then it it narrows, it slows in energy and power and comes to, it, it fades and then finally it stops. And so the idea of live life in crescendo means that at any age and stage of your life and despite ups and downs and life challenging experiences and past failures or successes, it's still important to keep learning, keep stretching, keep contributing to those around you. And the subtitle of the book is, Tom, your most important work is always ahead of you. And this was crucial to my father's mentality of thinking, okay, you know, I've, you know, I've written seven habits, I've done these different things, but the same with everyone. We all have important things ahead of us, important work, important contributions to make. So you don't sit on your laurels. You keep looking around. How can I help? How can I influence? Who can I inspire? How can I contribute more? And it keeps growing like in crescendo. So this would be a, an important message for people that could be going through transitions and as uh, I explained to you, I've worked uh, for 20 years with people who have lost their jobs. So that's a major transition. Uh, there are plenty of transitions in life. And then there's their transition that one makes when they go into, let's call it, quotes, retirement. And we're going to talk about that. So um, one of the things that I believe you noted in your uh, book, uh, 
So Warren Bennis made the comment that successful people are always in transition. Uh, apparently, this is a mainstay for people. It's it's a matter of all that. What can you have add uh, in terms of for people that are in transition? We're going to come back and talk about some specifics, but generally, because uh, transitions are really pivot points, aren't they? They are, and they can make or break you. Um, a life-changing experience that you might have, um, uh, deciding to retire or not retire. What are you going to do next? Um, if you're in a midlife stage and you know stuck or stagnant. Um, if you are successful, what are you going to do after that? There's all sorts of transition pivot points, uh, important points in our lives that you can choose to live in crescendo or diminuendo, depending on your choices. And my father's challenge is to adopt a crescendo mentality, a, a kind of a paradigm, like a pair of glasses that you put on to see everything through. And if you adopt this crescendo mentality during these transitions, it, it it shouldn't knock you flat. You should keep going. You should think, okay, I'm going to come out of this. I'm transitioning and I'm I'm growing and going to change and it'll work out. It'll be great. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with late Stephen Covey's daughter who co-authored his last book, Crescendo, Cynthia Covey Holler. Uh, speaking of transitions then, uh, and you talk about it again in the book, Remind people who Elizabeth Smart is and the transition that she had to make. Well, incredible story. It was a young girl from our state, from Salt Lake City, Utah, who at 14 years of age was kidnapped by a, an awful person that it took her for nine months. And uh, she was subject to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to being raped every day of her captivity by a person old enough to be her father. And she was in a terrible state. Um, everybody was so concerned about her and they did everything they could. Finally, um, Jack Welch with his show um, was able to help uh, identify somebody identified her. It was actually her sister who remembered who this was. And she was, she was freed. They found him and she was freed and she took, she could have, curled up in a ball the rest of her life. And maybe no one would have blamed her because of what the torment she went through for those nine months. But she she said, I decided uh, that I only have one life to live and I wasn't going to waste it. And she is not a victim. She's a victor. She has um, gotten, you know, graduated from college. She's very accomplished on the harp. She's gotten married. She has three kids. And she is running a Elizabeth Smart Foundation, which helps other children that have been kidnapped um, realize that this doesn't have to be the end of their life, that they have other choices and that they can still have a wonderful life if they so choose and not be a not not have this define them the rest of their life or destroy them. She's very inspiring. So she she I mean, one of the things you, that your dad and you talk about is uh, about improving the lives of others, uh, contribute rather than right. accumulate. Uh so she really took that to heart and really work and is working today on improving the lives of other. And that's in a very important message when people are in a transition. And let's talk a little bit about those who transition well. You list some points. Who are those people that do a good job in transition? Well, what are the characteristics? Uh, well, we can't control what what happens to us most of the time, but we can control how we respond to it 
how we react. And you'll notice people like Elizabeth Smart um, who, who realize that they have a choice to respond to the terrible thing that happened to them and to live in crescendo or to live in dominiendo. And it, it's, it's their choice. Um, some other characteristics are people that um, when something, they don't let this, um, we talk about in the book, that you, when you have a life-changing experience, it can either define you or destroy you or strengthen you. And she chose, as well as many other people I mentioned in the book, to let it strengthen them. And she decided, like my father taught, life is about contribution, not accumulation. That's the most important thing, to contribute to others' lives. And she has contributed to, she has saved the lives of a lot of uh, young people. She was involved in the Amber Alert, uh, making that part of the law that we have throughout the nation now. She has, has, um, has partnered with Rad Children, Rad Kids, that teach about um, resist um, aggression defensively. She has made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And so I think that during hard transitions like this, my father taught in his book to be strong in hard moments and decide, I do have a choice. I can't choose what happened to me, but I can choose how I'm going to respond. And if I'm going to take a crescendo mentality to it and keep and learn from it and, and move on and then bless other people with, with what you've learned. Well, I know, I know that working with people that have uh, been in transition because of uh, career changes, unexpected, uh, as I tell them, as they go through that transition, if it's done right, and that is to come out better rather than bitter, they're going to look back on that transition period of being one of growth. And we've heard many times people that have had cancer saying, you know, it made me a better person. We we probably all have stories like that. That's right. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that hardships prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destinies. And many times people who have had such difficult things happen to them have discovered their own true mission. Elizabeth Smart said, for example, I wouldn't have cared enough to get involved if this hadn't have happened to me. Said because this did happen, I'm a more compassionate person and I'm able to impact other people. I'll come back to that after we return in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Cynthia Covey-Holler, daughter of one of the most influential leadership experts in the 20th century. Remember, you can listen live to our Saturday broadcast anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco 860 The Answer. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I am with Cynthia Covey-Holler, co-author of Live Life in Crescendo, which she co-wrote with her late father, the storied and influential Stephen Covey. So we were talking about this uh, pivot points and transitions and giving back, and we talked a little bit about Elizabeth Smart. Now, in your own family... Uh, your brother suffered a major loss, and uh, that became a moment of crescendo for uh, the Coveys, didn't it? It did. Uh, we had to practice what we preach. <clears throat> We're a normal family like anyone and have problems and things happen to us that we often can't control. And we and um, my brother uh, lost his beautiful daughter, Rachel, at 21 to depression. She had fought it most of her life, and it was a very difficult struggle and so um, he 
it was a it was a very huge transition for him and his wife and our whole family when she passed away and we had to decide how we were going to respond and Sean decided uh, my brother Sean decided it was not going to uh, destroy us or define us and their family but it was going to strengthen them and so he discovered that Rachel well, he, Rachel always loved horses and she found her, she said she found her voice when she was riding. And after she passed away, some of her friends came up and told um, Sean and Rebecca that, that they had been helped uh, through some hard times in their life when Rachel took them horseback riding. There's a lot of therapy in horses and in and equestrian training. And so they decided to set up a, a nonprofit called Bridle Up Hope. And uh, this runs out of Alpine, Utah, but there's places that are, are springing up in other parts of the country and even the world. And what it does is it, it involves equestrian training coupled with my brother wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, which is a guide for kids. It's my dad's Seven Habits material for teenagers. And then the third component is service. And they found that with the equestrian training and the life skills that are taught, and service that it is life-changing for girls that have had anxiety and depression, that have had trauma or abuse. And in 10 years, a thousand girls or more have gone through the program and 95% of the parents said it's been life-changing for their child, for their daughter. And so that was, a, that was a time that our family had to decide what's gonna happen. How are we gonna respond in crescendo or diminuendo? And I'm really proud of what he's, he and his wife have created. Well, we'll make sure that we have links for, for both uh, Bridal Up Hope and for the um, book uh, about seven habits for teens. We'll make sure we put that on our uh, our show notes on the website so people can go there and find it easily. It'd be great. Now, your dad talked about life is a, a mission, not a career. How do we find out what our mission is? His grandfather taught him this. He was his greatest thing that he learned from his grandfather. Life is a mission, not a career. And I think that a lot of times he thought felt like people would define themselves by their career or what they did. You know, I'm a I'm a doctor or I'm 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 an engineer. Um, I work I work I'm a teacher. And then when that ends, they're kind of stuck. They they kind of don't know how to respond. And his idea was that we all have a unique mission in life, unique to our skills and our abilities and our passion and interest that we have. And he always loved uh, Viktor Frankl. He was one that was, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And he taught that um, we don't we don't invent our missions, but we detect them within ourselves. And so he would challenge people that he spoke to and, and that he wrote to, to uh, be still within themselves and to listen to their conscience and try to and try to detect their unique mission that could help other people. And it doesn't have to be grandiose or great. It doesn't have to be extraordinary to make an extraordinary difference in your own neighborhood, um, you know, being aware of, of things that happen, um, that needs and in your own family, maybe a grandchild who's suffering with with um, depression or a, an addiction, how can we help? And so this was the idea of life is a mission, not a career. We, we have things that we need to bring about that only we can do. Well, this is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with the late Stephen Covey's daughter, Cynthia Covey-Holler, who co-authored his last book, Crescendo. 
One of the things as you're talking about helping others that I always think about too is that, uh, and uh, one of our recent guests talked about this, if you don't know how to manage yourself, it's hard to give and manage other people. I don't know if you can add anything to that, but we've got to be uh, clear on who we are and what our mission is and have our own house in order to give to others. Is uh, I think you talk a little bit about something like that. Yes, I, I agree. That's true. Um, we have to have a, a, set, a sense of who are who we are, and that's discovering what you're good at and what you're what you feel like you can contribute to other people. And then you can be a mentor to others. Your whole show about mentoring is is amazing. That that think of you know sometimes my father would ask in a presentation he'd say how many of you have reached this, some level of success largely because someone else believed in you when you didn't. And most people will raise their hand. It happened to him, he, like I explained at the beginning. And then he, the second question is, are you doing the same thing for others? And so we look around, we think we have to do a big service or have to make a huge difference. You could be a mentor to somebody in your neighborhood, someone in your family, someone at work, someone who admires you. And what a difference that would make in their life and how much you could inspire them if you showed them their worth of potential when they didn't see it in themselves. It's a great opportunity. Well, and I certainly had those people in my life. I think back to when I was in in between high school and college, and I went out and started working on a bricklaying crew. And there was this big, tall, six foot four Norwegian, Eddie Johnson. <laughs> and Eddie told me later that he wasn't sure if he was going to fire me or keep me, but I was working so hard. He decided to keep me on and I ended up becoming his top uh, uh, assistant labor and then assistant apprentice labor. And then I went on into the world of work and I was uh, the president of the division, a guy named Bill Bartlett uh, reached out and just pulled me up by my bootstraps and started giving me these gigantic assignments at a young age. So I benefited from, people along the way who saw something in maybe me that I didn't maybe understand. And it, uh, I benefit, I'm sure many more stories like that, but certainly uh, important. We, we have such an opportunity to help other people. Just a quick example. Um, there was a poet named William Henley who was very, his family was poor. His dad was, was gone and his mother raised all these children and he was struggling in school and didn't, didn't have much confidence. His headmaster gave him that, believed in him and taught him poetry and told him that he, that he was a writer and that he could do more than he thought he could. Well, he ended up dying pretty early, but not before he, he wrote the great poem Invictus that later um, inspired Nelson Mandela. And what a domino effect. Nelson wow. Mandela reads Invictus in prison, and he became an advisor not only to his fellow prisoners, but to guards and people that, that came to him for advice because he taught, I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. And, and so then he gets released from prison at 71 and goes on to uh, take apart apartheid. So what an influence from one mentor, a domino effect all the way to Mandela. And it's a ripple effect, as you said. And I, and I think people need to understand it isn't it could be a chance meeting. It could be going through. We were out in California. We have Safeway out here. It could be going through the checkout and making give, saying something to that person on the other side of the checkout. It, it's every 
contact we have with a human being. And you, and we're going to come back and talk about that. I'm going on too far. We got to, we have to go to break. Now we're with Cynthia Covey Holler, the daughter of Stephen Covey. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Cynthia Covey Holler co-author of Live Life in Crescendo, which she co-authored with her late father, the story of an influential Stephen Covey. Now, we talk about um, two types of greatness. Could you talk a little bit about, I mean, you talk about two types of greatness. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, my um, my father always defined greatness um, in two ways. He said, there's primary greatness and secondary greatness. So secondary greatness is what the world celebrates. It's it's accumulation. It's money. It's possessions. It's fame. It's a, a big name. It's being a celebrity, being well known. That's that's secondary greatness. Primary greatness is harder to obtain, but he just finds this as true success. It's your character, your values, your relationships, the things that matter most that you talk about on your deathbed. You know, nobody, they, you know, we said nobody at the um, on their deathbed wish they spend more time at the office. They're talking about their relationships or their lack of them with their families. And so this is an important part of um, living in crescendo is is being able to work on relationships and to and to expand them. And those are that's what true success is different than what the world um, defines it at. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about those people that are going into retirement and thinking about retirement or maybe are in retirement. Uh, and what advice can we give them? And let's focus a little bit on the need for stress, the importance of stress. Well, um, one of my dad's uh, people that he referred to is a man named Dr. Selvig, who talked about the, the stress in life and said that there are two kinds of stress. There's distress, which is harmful, but he said there's also useful stress called eustress, and you need to have eustress in your life to keep going, to give, um, and that is a reason to get up, a purpose, a meaning, and we quote um, in this book a lot, um, a, a quote by Pablo Picasso, which says, the meaning of life is to find your gift, the purpose of life is to give it away. And so they find that if people do not, after they retire from a, a career, my, my father thought it was a false dichotomy to say your two choices are, are either keep working or retire. He said the third choice encompasses them both. Make a contribution. So if you decide to step away from a job or career, don't ever retire from making meaningful contributions. So as you get older and you think, Okay, I, you actually have the greatest opportunity of any stage in life to mentor, to influence people, to make a contribution as you're older. You have more time, more wisdom, more money, more networking, more opportunity. You know what you're doing. And so this is a great time. If you keep working in your job, that's great. Into your 70s and 80s, 90s, there's all sorts of people, men and women across our country that are doing that and making amazing contributions. But if you do desire desire to stop your job or career, don't stop making meaningful contributions to others. What an opportunity you have. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with the late Stephen Covey's daughter, Cynthia Covey-Holler, 
who co-authored his last book, Crescendo. So tell us a little bit about Herschel McGriff. Oh, Her- <laughs> Herschel McGriff was a, a, a race car driver who went into his 70s and 80s and he, his early 90s. He loved to ride. And just because he got older, he decided, you know, I still want to challenge myself. I still want to be out there. And he turned some heads doing it. He he was nominated to the Hall of Fame and, and racing the Le Mans and some different race places um, because of his desire to still keep going. My father, at one point, when he was talking about um, about living in crescendo um, and not necessarily retiring at the nest, at the retirement age, they say 65. I think he invented this live life for crescendo because people kept asking him how much longer he was going to work. And he said, why would I stop? I, I have passion. I feel like I'm making a contribution. I still have more to offer. This is my purpose and meaning in life. And I don't want to give it up. And, and as he was speaking one time, a man became really uh, animated and started talking to people around him. And he, he couldn't wait to talk to him after his presentation. And he explained that he was a circuit judge and was about to retire at 65 in the traditional age because that's what people expected him to do. And he said, I'm not going to do it now. I care about my community. I know about it. I can meet the special needs. I'm going to keep working as long as I want. And that was exciting to him. It gave him purpose and meaning to get out of bed in his, in his, in his 80s. Well, I have a friend who retired, and he talked about retirement for the last 10 years of in his career. And he left. He moved to Florida. I called him up at Christmas, and I said, how is it going? And he says, I had the worst depression this year. And I said, why? He said, I get up every morning. I can do anything I want, but I have no purpose. I have no meaning. And that just really uh, drills that home uh, in terms of the need for purpose and meaning uh, for life. Now, there's some myths around retirement. Uh, can we talk a little bit about those myths and just dispel them? Well, um, some of the myths are that you, you know, you don't, you don't have any special abilities to contribute to others. You don't have any great skills. You don't have a lot of money. You don't have different things that you think need to be successful to make a difference in someone's life. But it just starts by caring about another person, about a relationship one-on-one and trying to lift somebody. Um, you have more opportunity than ever. I'm thinking of like a Jimmy Carter who reached the pinnacle of success, you'd say, in the in the United States, being the president of the United States, and yet he didn't get reelected. And he goes back to Georgia, and instead of just, um, you know, building his library and giving expensive speeches, he decides, you know, I still, I'm not done. My most, like the subtitle of the book, my most important work is still ahead of me. And look what he, he has done. He, he hasn't gone down as our best president, but he is our best post-president of any he, he has given the face to um, to Habitat for Humanity, which has contributed into his 90s. He's the Carter Peace Center. He, he got the Nobel Peace Prize with Rosalind for his efforts. So truly, his most important work was still ahead of him after his pinnacle of success. It's an incredible success story. And you mentioned the Longevity Project. Uh, I just want to quickly, happiness is a result, not a cause. Stress is not bad. Physical exercise is important. Stay involved in a meaningful work and maintain a strong social network. You want to add anything to that? 
Well, this is an incredible um, longevity project. It was an 80 year study that, that they began in 1921 and studied 1,500 kids. And they found that genetics weren't just involved, that you can have a, you can make your footprint, you can have a difference if you stay involved socially, if you have a purpose and a meaning in your life, like we're talking about, to get up. If you cross the street and, and help a, a neighbor mow their lawn, it's, it's yellowing and they haven't watered it or they're lonely or their food bank is really needing more attention or or your grandchild is struggling in some, you know, has difficulty in school. What a difference you can make in someone's life um, just by making an effort. And this keeps, they found that it keeps people alive longer to have meaning and purpose in their life and to be healthier. And genetics aren't, don't have the last word. You can have a big difference in, in how you approach life and, and the things that you do and fill your time with. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Cynthia Covey-Holler. You will find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you do not miss any future shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Cynthia Covey-Holler co-author of Live Life in Crescendo, which she co-authored with her late father, the storied and influential Stephen Covey. So let's finish out the uh, show talking about success. And I'm going to turn it over to you. You've got some pretty uh, uh, great insights on success. Well, as we said earlier, um, we're, we're shooting for primary greatness, not secondary as much. Sometimes people have both. They have secondary greatness and primary greatness. And when there's that combination, that can do a lot of good. But my father just um, described success as uh, success is working to be successful in your most important roles in life. And many of those focus on a family role. Um, as a father, a mother, you may be an uh, inspiring uncle, you may be a um, take care of parents that are struggling, that being a caregiver. Um, we know about um, people that um, have diseases and have dementia and different things that sometimes that the other the spouse has to take care of and really step up that way. So to be successful in your most important roles, that's true success rather than how society defines it. And if you look around, you'll see a great example. And at this Christmas time is it's a wonderful life. George Bailey is a great example because he he didn't you know, here he is. just He's a, a great person that impacted all those people in Bedford Falls. And yet he lost hope. He lost uh, perspective and thought that he wasn't successful at all. He didn't travel. He had made a lot of money. He never left Bedford Falls. But yet when he was taken out. Remember how he said, I wish I'd never been born. And the angel who was trying to get his wings said, okay, it's like you've never been born. And it, he said it to him, it leaves a big hole where you were. You actually had a, a wonderful life because you're, you impacted so many people. And he didn't realize it until it, had, you know, it was taken out of it. And so sometimes you're successful. You have true success and you don't recognize it because um, of how society defines it. But yet the second part of perspective of this is that if you do need to make a change, the hopeful and optimistic message is at any time you can pivot, you can redefine yourself, you can go a different direction. 
if you proactively seek it and go after it, you can, as my father said, use your R&I, resourcefulness and initiative, and make it happen. Change your life for the better, if needed. And uh, on, the, on the whole idea of uh, leadership as character building, you, t- you talk a little bit about that. That's versus uh, being concerned with your reputation. It's really about character, isn't it? I mean, what you're talking, everything you're talking about, success and everything has to do with character. It does. Um, character development in yourself, um, working on on qualities that are lasting, that are timeless and universal, such as integrity and uh, fidelity and honesty and kindness and commitment to good things, faithfulness. Um, there's so many great qualities you can develop in yourself. And then, as you said, Tom, then you help somebody else. Like in the airplane, you put on your uh, your mask first, and then you help somebody else. The eighth habit says, um, you know, to find your voice, find your voice, and then help others find theirs. And that's what a trusted mentor can do. And that's what somebody who has who knows where what they're at and what they're about, and and can then lift another person. And what a blessing to both lives um, to to help someone else and make a difference. And you made a you make a note that character is what you really are. Rather, your reputation is what other thinks other people think you are. And then you have a couple of uh, rules here: be true to yourself, make each day your masterpiece, help others, drink deeply from good books, especially the Bible, make friendship a fine art, build a shelter against a rainy day, and give thanks for your blessings every day. Those are, that, those are all from John Wooden, Tom, who is one of the known as one of the greatest mentors ever. And here, you talk about a pinnacle of success. He was one of the most successful and most prominent uh, basketball coaches, maybe of all time, maybe one of the greatest coaches of all time. But yet his greatest success was still ahead of him. It was in mentoring. And that's where he spent the last third of his life after his career in mentoring young people all across the country. And what a difference he's made to so many, which caused domino effects in the next generation. He's well, an that's, inspiring person. That I, I I knew I knew it was John Wooden. I forgot to mention yeah. that, but that's a very important way to finish. And that's it. We're done. I really appreciate your time and your great insights, Cynthia. We've been with Cynthia Covey Holler, a co-author of Live Life in Crescendo, who she co-authored with her late father, the storied and influential Stephen Covey. We've been talking about how to develop a mentality that provides purpose and hope at any stage of life. We will be posting a link to the, the books we mentioned on this and to the Bri- Bridal Up Hope uh, Foundation. The mentors uh, Go to thementorsradio.com. We'll post it there. That's thementorsradio.com. Make sure you subscribe when you're there to future shows. You can also listen to us online, any device, anytime, on any podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Lorry signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.